Hello and welcome to Culture Sex Relationships with me, Justin Hancock. It's another Ask Justin today. Uh, since my uh, request for more Ask Justins, I've been sent a small flurry. So thank you very much. Do keep them coming in. It makes the show so much easier and I will just do them more regularly if you send me questions because then, you know, I'm co-creating it with you, dear listener. You know, this is not, existence is not an individual affair, to quote Karen Barad. Uh, so you know, in order for this podcast to exist in the world, it's really helping me, uh, you giving me questions and ideas to things for things to talk about. So thank you very much. So today's question is about safer sex protocols within, I think, polyamory. They don't mention polyamory, but... Um, uh, but uh, I'm assuming that's what it is from uh, from this question. So, okay, so uh, the question is, I have a safer sex protocol that consists of a set of good communication tick boxes and a set of medical slash testing disclosure tick boxes. Uh, and then they refer to uh, a resource, which I'm not going to refer to, um, but they, they use this particular resource. Uh, and a spreadsheet from my partners to record their partners and activities they practice with each testing status, barrier use, etc. And then I use some approximate quantification of risk for each partner. While I find my protocol helpful in making this, wait, while I find my while I find my protocol helpful in making this usually sensitive and difficult discussion more matter-of-fact and clear, I have experienced a lot of pushback and hurt feelings by partners. I'm reaching out to you because you mentioned in your episode this week that some people feel repelled by safer sex discussions. I can't remember in what context I was saying that, and uh, I say a lot of things, and I don't script everything I say, so uh, i completely forgotten about that. But anyway... Um, could you help me find a way forward towards finding a consensus or a creative solution that works for everyone in case a partner refuses to engage with my protocol? Thank you for creating your content. I find it really valuable and fun to listen to. Well, that's very nice. That's very, very nice to hear. Uh, okay, so, uh, so I've looked at the resource that you sent through and I'm not going to link to it. I personally don't think it's very good. Sorry, um, uh, I know. I, just speaking as a sex educator, uh, I wouldn't dream of making a resource like that. Um, I think that there are much better ways of making resources. But I also don't. Well, my answer to this question isn't going to be me telling you what resource to use. I also think that really the thing that you probably need to think about doing is how is to think about how you co-creatively uh, create a resource between you all in your assemblage okay uh, I think that's my that's my actual answer that I'm going to get to at the end and I'll, I'll explain why um, and so uh, I'm not a fan of that resource and um, I think that there is I think that the, the so one of the things that I'm trying to figure out in my PhD that I'm writing about and through the work that I do at Bish, but also the work that I do here, is to pass the difference between a discourse and a resource. So a discourse is a set of stories, um, a set of uh, messages or codes. It's a, a term from Michel Foucault, um, but a way of telling a set of stories about how we are, about our subjectivity, how we live our lives, in this case, how we live our sexual lives, 
um, as a way of kind of monitoring and in some senses disciplining how we how we do sexuality how we do ourselves and the history of sex education really has been uh, a history of discourses and people trying to replace one discourse with another uh, and I think that one of the things that I didn't like about the about the discourse of sorry about the resource that you sent through was that I thought it was more of a discourse telling very narrow um, stories about what it is to be a good polyamorous person based built around a biomedical model of sexual health and that and that this is a kind of a and that there are only very particular kinds of sexual health that we need to think about and particular kinds of conversations that we might need to have i know there's a whole other resource on there um anyway uh side note the reason i'm not going to talk about who what the resource is and who made the resource is that's not what i do um it's not my job to go around uh telling people what's uh you know which individual resources are good and bad i'm just trying to say here if i was looking for a resource for myself what i would want it to do and i wouldn't want it to feel like it was really telling me what i should be concerned about what i would want it to do is to invite me to think about how the things that i might that might concern me how i might to how i might like to consider that there might be many different things that might concern me but crucially how it might actually help me to put it into practice how it might actually help me feel resourced in my body and help other people to feel resourced in their bodies and i think a really good resource is open and kind and thinking about um the all of the different possibilities and opening up all of the different possibilities it should be it should be increasing our capacity to act which i'm going to talk about later um and it should be towards the collective it shouldn't just be kind of taking something i mean sexual health is a is a global issue it's a global and structural and political issue um and we shouldn't only be addressing this at the individual level and a resource should i think sometimes acknowledge that either through the ways it talks about how we reflect on the topic but also how people have different levels of sexual agency people have different uh you know people aren't we don't all have a level playing field of how much uh freedom to choose around sex and sexual health we have some people have access to resources around sexual health that other people don't but also for some folk sexual health is going to mean different things to another person because of how it is framed in society it is a societal construct so i think a good resource should also help us to not only think um globally and critically about structures but should also be opening us up to other people it should be about how we do things in the world because we as i said at the very beginning of the show individual existence is not an individual affair i'm gonna again talk about this all the way through so i don't think that a useful resource here is one that is telling us what we should be doing what we should be concerned about and 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 how we and 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 like having a tick box approach to doing it basically um by and large i think if there's a tick box i would avoid it um just trying to think now whether i have any tick boxes on any of my resources i probably do anyway <laughs>
<laughs> but anyway, you already know, dear listener, who's who's sent in this question, that this resource isn't working for you now, uh, because you're writing to me about it, and you're wanting some ideas about how to think differently about this and a different way of creating a resource. And again, there's always the kernel of the answer in the listener's question, which is really great. And so it's really, you know, the fact that you're writing to me demonstrates that um, you want to find a consensus and a creative solution that's going to work for everyone, right? So you know it's not already working. Uh, and the reason why it's not working is that it's only resourcing you. Um, because you're finding it useful, you're finding it helpful to give you a language maybe, a vocabulary, uh, which helps you, as you say, to be quite matter of fact about it, which I think is quite good. I personally like to be quite matter of fact about everything to do with relationships and sexuality. I think a bit more kind of matter of factness is really good and useful. Um, actually, people kind of like romanticize not being matter of fact and think that it's kind of unsexy or not romantic or not in some way libidinal or erotic to be matter of fact i'm like i'm super matter of fact uh, i got this from my uh friend myline who's a, a relationships was a relationships and sexuality educator um uh they quit and became uh, a much happier uh, therapist and they're a good mate of mine now uh, but they're dutch and when i started out and they were my colleague i was learning a lot from her uh, myline and um I really valued her matter-of-fact approach, and apparently it is just kind of like a Dutch thing uh, that uh, she's just able to be very straightforward. You know, she said, you British are just so obsessed with sex, but you can't talk about it. And for us, we're not obsessed with it at all, and we can talk about it. So I think that that kind of matter-of-fact approach is, I find, personally, quite useful. Other people might not, okay? Other people might not be there. And also, I, don't, I also want to be careful here about creating a discourse of saying, well, being matter-of-fact is better than anything else <laughs> because you know whilst it's good to be clear um and good to uh to 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 uh to be able to articulate what it is that you really need other people might not like that but also matter of factness is also about tone and tone is really important because tone is how we're affected like tone affects people okay so it might not even be the resource that people are finding off putting. It might just be the matter of factness. And again, that matter of factness is useful for you. But if the resource or the matter of factness that the resource is producing is not helping other people, or they're getting upset about it, or they are, uh, let's just see exactly what they were saying. Um, you're getting a lot of pushback and hurt feelings by partners. Um, then it's not actually resourcing you. It's certainly not resourcing them. And it's not actually resourcing you. Because for safer sex, obviously, and for what um, for what, the way you're thinking about safer sex here, which is really sensible to think about it in the collective, um, everybody has to feel resourced. Everybody has to feel like it can work for them. And so if it isn't working for them, it literally can't work for you because you are them. And I think this is where it's really interesting to think about the collective and to think about how to be an individual, which I'm saying in inverted commas, is just to exist collectively. Like, we need others. I'm going to keep saying this all the way through this podcast um, because I think it's really important. So I think one of the things that we need to kind of consider about this is that we might want to think about flattening out the process and the content. Okay, so the way that you've kind of gone about this, you've 
you've found a resource and then you're asking everyone to use it and they're kind of bristling about it and coming up against it. What we might need to do is to think about, well, how in creating a new resource or a new way of thinking about this or, uh, yeah, a new way of thinking about this, how can we do that in a way where the process itself is going to both bring everyone on board and feel inclusive and everyone wants to do it, but also where there's something about that process that makes everyone feel resourced, that is a that becomes a useful resource for everyone. So in this way, the flattening of the process and the content is really important. It's not even so much that you... that. I think if you think about how it's not even really the the content, which is that you want everyone to tell you about uh, their safer sex protocols and how it is everyone is making sex safer. That's the content. But the process of how you get everyone to do that is, I think, just as important. And I often think, actually, more important. One of the things that I talk about when I... uh, well, one of the things we discover when I run training courses for people who do advanced, uh, who do uh, relationships and sexuality education, I run a, an advanced RSE training course. I'm probably going to run one this year at some point, dear listeners. So um, if you are a relationships and sexuality educator, get in touch and I'll let you know when I'm running it again. One of the things that I kind of, that we kind of discover is how actually good RSE is about paying attention to process just as much as content and I would argue even more so because it's the it's how we do the RSE it's how we facilitate it how we make conversations which is the thing that actually resources people right is it so for example in an RSE lesson and this is relevant I'm coming back to your point in an RSE lesson for example you know um, is it better that young people learn what consent is and why consent is important or is it better for them to understand through a process of doing how we actually might do consent what consent feels like how consent feels in the body uh, how to know when uh, we we can recognize it and feel it and how and the things we might look out for and so that's all about the process okay and if someone is going to be you know as as often happens in RSE, sadly, someone you know, people, kids are sat in a class and they're made to watch a harrowing video about sexual violence, uh, and that's their lesson on consent. Well, they've learned nothing about consent, and the whole process because they've completely diminished the process and not thought about the process whatsoever. Those kids haven't learned anything about consent. They also now hate sex education. <laughs> as a result um, and they are unresourced they've been talked at they've been told a story they've been given discourse and they're being disciplined and monitored by that discourse right or they're inviting each other to discipline and monitor themselves around discourse so to come back to this I think and this is why it's really great that you kind of that you're asking from this for me in the question because you know that this is what you need to do is that instead of you being the person who creates the resource and says hey everyone can you fill this in or brings the resource what you need to be is a facilitator okay so what you need what you need to do is to find a way to make it to make it easier which is what facilitation means how do you make it easier for everyone to be able to talk about safer sex in ways where everyone feels safer collectively and that's this feels like it's your job now because um you're the one thinking about this uh and also you've written to me 
and you're the person I'm giving advice to. Um, <laughs> but uh, it also sounds like you've got the skills to do it, and it sounds like you've got the um, you've certainly got uh, the uh, incentive to do it, but also uh, you are clearly thoughtful and clearly uh, able to be matter of fact, and you're clearly wanting to have these tricky, sensitive, difficult conversations, and you know. I think it's really important that we're able to have tricky, sensitive conversations. You know, this kind of persevering is really, really important. I think trust is part of this as well. So, to give trust, we have to get. To, sorry, to get trust, we have to give trust. But it's a mutually constructed thing. It's not something which is kind of. It's uh, it's not like okay, I trust you, so now you have to trust me. It's like trust is the tiny microprocessors of things that are built collectively over a period of time where and we're building the same thing we're not building two things so think about kind of uh you know often the th often one of the things that i say about um boundaries is that boundaries are like should be co-created really and that there is a value in the co-creation of them so kind of imagine that you're building a fence or building a wall like collectively together and that the, you're interested in uh, you know both sides of that looking nice and knowing where it is and being really clear about it but it's the it's the slow um, it's the slow aggregation of things so if we think about trust as being like love or being like consent actually where it's actually more of a, a kind of a verb like a, a set of um, a set of practices a set of tools a set of processes that we do which builds over time then I think that might be more useful uh, and so bringing, bringing that into your approach into whatever it is that you co-create is really important because also saying it so for example filling out um, filling out a form with all of your uh, w with all of your protocols filled in um, isn't the same as having it and actually we might argue that if we say if we're having to say that we do it if we're having to say that we trust somebody or if we have to say this is why you should trust me then does that really feel like trust like if we're having to get somebody on a very regular basis to say i'm doing this rather than to trust that they're doing this i think that there's a big difference between those things um uh on this there's a really useful podcast that i'll link to in the um show notes uh, it's uh, it's a very very good podcast generally i would encourage everyone to listen to it it's a philosophy it's a philosophy podcast but it's kind of more fun uh, than a lot of the others and it's very very um and it's not as uh is they do a lot of theory but it's not heavy and they explain they're really good at explaining everything um and they're materialists too by and large i think and uh it's really good it's called hotel bar sessions uh, the reason that they've got the title for that is they're philosophers who imagine they are they've been at a conference all day and they're in the bar and they've ordered a drink uh, and they're having a chat and that's where the real philosophy happens uh, anyway there was an episode that I listened to about trust uh, the other day which is really really interesting and I would encourage you to listen to it it's really really good um, but also about trust there's a couple of other things I, want, I, need, what I think might be useful for you to think about here as well one of them is something that I learned on in my degree. So I did a law degree, dear listener. I know, very strange. Um, I did a law degree before I retrained in youth work and then in sexual health work. I don't know. 
anyway, I don't know why I did a law degree, but you know, I was 16. I had no idea. I hadn't even I hadn't even had sex yet, let alone uh, known that there was a possibility of working in sex education. Um, anyway, so uh, but there's one thing that I learnt uh, on when I studied contract is this term known as privity of contract, and basically all that means is that third parties can't have any legal obligations over two individuals who make a contract. So contracts are only ever made with two individual people. And so uh, this is kind of just to say that it gets tricky when somebody outside of a relationship is is in some way trying to uh, create some responsibilities and codes on somebody else's relationship. I think that's kind of like a useful kind of idea that, you know, yes, you are in this kind of assemblage of relations who are all interlinked and reliant on each other, but you're not all in relationships with each other in the same way. Those assemblages, within that assemblage, there are different kinds of flows that connect people in ways that are very, very different to each other. And so that means that somebody connecting, somebody trying to have any kind of or somebody trying to create any obligations over another uh, affective flow within that assemblage is going to come into some difficulty. And I think this is possibly where some of the pushback kind of comes from as well. So in some senses, we've got to kind of, maybe a kind of a useful thing to bring into how you think about creating a resource or what a resource means for everybody is, well, how do we acknowledge that there is this sense of autonomy that people you know what would it mean for us to trust that everyone is doing the right thing about safer sex protocols like what would that what would that mean for everybody i think it might possibly mean that people might feel more able to tell you about their safer sex protocols we'll get to that later because this is how trust kind of happens you know if we trust everyone is doing the right thing and that's explicit and we say look we're all just trusting each other. There's a lot of people doing sexual things with each other in this broader assemblage of different uh, sexual or sensual relations happening here. We all need to do the right thing around this, right? And a useful way of thinking about this is to think nowadays about COVID. Okay, so it was much easier in many ways for us to uh, practice um, COVID uh, safety protocols when... Um, we were when we had the rules around how much time we could spend with each other, who we could spend with each other, what a bubble meant, mask wearing, all that kind of stuff. And now we're still in COVID, as I, uh, as me and Dave Pickering talked about in our podcast about this a few, quite a few episodes ago now. But I'm still having this conversation with friends. Is that you know many of us still very feel still feel very much in COVID because many of us are immunocompromised. Uh, many folk really don't want to get COVID. And also, long COVID is bad. Sorry, I'm talking about COVID again. Um, but yeah, I think it's important that but a lot of us really don't want to get it. And, and so we're all having to weigh up the risks of doing things like going to the pub uh, or going on public transport, how we mediate those risks, like how we uh, manage those risks versus the risks of not doing those things, the risks of missing out the risks of not experiencing other forms of collective joy and so that's a really moving you know that's a that's a lot of moving parts when you think about everyone's everyone's assemblage everyone's different uh, levels of risk everyone's volume levels 
um, and how everyone relates to each other, both in, in their relationship to you, but also in their own other assemblages too, all, their, all of their other relations that exist outside of uh, the people we know. So, you know, thinking about, you know, a friend's parents, for example, just before Christmas, like people might not want to be going out and getting ill because they really don't want to take COVID or another illness back to their family where they might have, you know, an immunocompromised family member, for example. Anyway, which is all to say <laughs> that we have to also kind of think about these things as this kind of really fluid um really fluid and tricky uh kind of topic and you know so for me you know i uh as you probably know dear listener i also do uh ethical non-monogamy i try to practice well what i used to call uh relationship panicky or has been called relationship panicky and i did that podcast uh, that solo podcast where i talked about post-capitalist relating or maybe nowadays i say abundant relating anyway I have a lot of I have sex with different people, <laughs> um, and for me, one of my big safer sex risks is I don't want to get a cold. I don't want to get COVID. I really don't. Somebody once made me ill with a non-sexual in fact disease, and I missed a week of work. And I'm freelance. <laughs> I can't miss a week of work. I don't get sick pay. <laughs> so you know, for me, that's like one of my things. And so. We all have different things that we need to be thinking about. We all have different kinds of risks. And I think it's worthwhile broadening this conversation out into other forms of safer sex risks. So I've gone off a bit of a tangent there. I've gone off my... I've got some bullet points I'm trying to follow, but uh, I'm just having a bit of a rant there. Anyway, so the next bit is thinking about joy and love. And joy and love are only ever the result of the relation so this is going coming back to the individual and the collective thing so as i've been saying lately joy and love is only part of the it only exists as part of the relation but also consciousness like our sense of becoming our sense of self can only happen in relation to others so our sense of how we relate to risk and how we feel about risk how we feel about our safer sex risks they only become in relation to other people, okay? Which means that they can also become other, right? So if we are, if we can find ways where we can talk about our safer sex risks with other people in, the, in a way where they can feel like they can also talk with us, that this is a mutually, co, you know, mutual, it's a conversation, you know, rather than just you asking people to fill something out. If you can actually make it more of a conversation, then not only do they become more aware of your safer sex uh, thoughts, protocols, feelings, emotions, um, but also you become more aware of theirs and you become more aware of yours because everything, because everything, all of our consciousness, all of our, you know, we there is no kind of separate mind and body. Our consciousness um, becomes as a result of our body in relation to other people okay and so the more we talk about it the more you will understand your own kind of risks and so there is this going back to this thing there about how because this isn't resourcing everyone else you're not resourcing yourself okay so you're not allowing yourself to become more conscious of how you feel about risks because the you know the thing about um STIs, for example, 
is that they aren't just, the reason we say STIs nowadays are not STDs is that not all infections cause disease, okay? So, um, and it's, we are more likely to uh, experience disease or illness if we have other underlying conditions um, or if we are, don't have access to, or one of the underlying conditions could be that we don't have access to good healthcare. <laughs> or uh, all that healthcare is made inaccessible to us because of our identity or because of our previous uh, relationships to healthcare or how healthcare might not also not might not you know how sometimes there might not be a lot of care in the healthcare we've received in the past and so for a lot of us that might make us that that produces in us the possibility of disease because uh, our, our, uh, our ability to access uh, healthcare is uh is is structural anyway sorry i keep going off on tangents come on just to rein it in <laughs> um so uh what was i saying yeah so basically i think it's just really important to have these two you've got to, it's always got to be in relation to and if it's not it's just not going to work for everyone and again to come back to um spinoza so spinoza the uh 17th century philosopher who you know I'm a bit in love with now um you know we so spinoza and joy his idea of joy from his book the ethics is that joy is about anything where we can increase our capacity to act slash think so um because the body and the mind are the same in spinoza in terms of work in parallel so anything where we increase our capacity to act is joy however if in increasing our capacity to act we reduce somebody else's it's sadness okay which is just this to go back to this thing of everything having to be this co-constituted uh, and generative uh thing uh and i've got a quite a nice quote here from antonio negri who um who sadly has died today uh, he's a philosopher who wrote uh empire with uh, michael hart amongst uh other people italian philosopher um, and leftist and activists and um, great sounding guy but the so the quote is love means precisely that our expansive encounters and continuous collaborations bring us joy without this love we are nothing and this is why you're doing the well, well i'm assuming polyamory or ethical non-monogamy or whatever system you have in place or that's you know it's also why we do dating it's why we have sex with other people it's like it's why we do romantic or relationships uh so all of which to say is that you're right you're absolutely right that what you need is a more creative and a consensus a consensus solution you need it needs to be something that works for everybody okay and that means that you all need to get involved and you could facilitate creating a resource which you all collaborate on okay which allows for the things that I've been talking about. So allows for different volume levels. So maybe your volume levels are, you know, that are quite high about certain ST, about either STIs generally or certain STIs or other kinds of um, bio, more biomedical risks. But also there might be other risks too that you might want to think about that everyone else might want to think about. Again, that's got to be um, that's got to be opened up. But also everyone needs to be able to talk about volume levels. So. When I say volume levels, I just mean what. Here's the issue that I want to think about: How important is that for me? Like, what's my? How important is it that, for example, um, that you? Uh, how important is it that you get a particular STI? 
Uh, I'm trying to think of one. Some STIs, well, I should say this about STIs as well. Uh, all STIs are treatable and many are curable. And the other thing about STIs is that usually they're not a big deal. Um, HIV can be a big deal, syphilis can be a big deal, uh, other things can be, gonorrhea is getting harder to treat. Um, that can be a big deal. But uh, the most common STIs in particular are usually, don't, don't usually cause any harm. Like don't usually cause any long lasting harm. I've got much more about this at my website, Bish, my website for everyone over the age of 14. I often say it's for young people, it's not, it's for everyone over 14. Uh, I've got lots and lots of uh, stuff on STIs there which I think is more chill than a lot of other people's because I, you know, I think it's important to be chill about these things. I also don't want to create a discourse of STIs are the worst thing in the world. They're not, they're often just not for a lot of people. And I know I'm telling you what to think about STIs here, but just uh, aggregatively for people, people don't usually experience long-term effects. That doesn't mean to say you, dear listener who's written in with this question, really, don't have a very high volume level on particular STIs. Uh, and, you know, all of these things are individual and heterogeneous. So that means that you might quite, you know, rightly feel a very strong particular way about STIs or certain STIs. Fine. But just talking generally, uh, uh, generally speaking, most STIs don't, most cases of STIs don't cause uh, major problems. Also, um, the numbers of people with STIs aren't actually as high as we think. Uh, again, I've got more stats about this. I've actually got a, uh, a quiz about this. I've got, I've, I'll put things in the notes. I've got lots of resources I've created about this. Um, um, uh, what else was I gonna say? Yeah, and a lot of STIs are um, cohort-based. So it's the people having sex with each other, passing the infections around. And we often hear, like, you know, a huge increase in certain STIs uh, because um, when we hear when we hear about things like the huge increase in STIs, there's a really interesting assemblage going on, which is um, sexual health, health agencies, um, A, wanting to raise awareness, um, wanting people to come forward and get tested, but also they're, wanting, they're needing to play the game in the attention economy of getting something in the newspapers, getting something in the news about STI rates, right? Because they need funding and they need attention. And actually, sexual health services have had such severe cuts in the UK uh, compared to where they were. I'll probably talk about this in a future episode. That That is part of the assemblage. So interestingly, the discourses around STIs are... Um, not deliberately, but they are kind of uh, increased. The volume of those increases quite often in relation to sexual health services who need to create attention in in a society where we just don't have a great deal of attention paid to STIs, particularly post COVID, and particularly that everyone is just a everything is just a fuck show in the UK at the moment. It's really hard getting anything to be taken aware of and taken seriously politically um anyway so that's like a bit of a thing about another side note about stis i'm sorry i think i guess i'm just finding this topic too interesting so i should stop apologizing i hope you're finding my side notes interesting so we have to allow for different volume levels so around stis everyone's going to have different levels of risk different levels 
different levels of concern and that has to be okay everyone has to be able to make that okay okay um, and we can talk about those risks and what they might mean for us and again when we talk about them we make them more conscious and we might be become differently in relation to those risks but we all have different volume levels that needs to be respected in this resource we also need to allow for different kinds of risks so like i've been saying about covid colds uh, emotional harm um how much money we spend on dates uh privacy risks uh if we're uploading anything or doing things in front of other people or taking pictures of anything um etc etc uh, any resource that you might create would also need to give people a sense of autonomy about how they manage their own risks. So this is that thing about privity of contracts again. But it's also about kind of, it has to build into it that an assumption that, uh, that, that people are going to try to do their best. That an assumption that people are, uh, for the most part, in, in, as, in as much as society can afford them the ability to, that people are going to act sensibly and in a way that reduces the risks as much as possible for everyone in the assemblage. Uh, it, the, any resource that you need to create would need to create kind of openness and the possibilities of persevering with this over time. So you're not going to be able to do this in one conversation. You're not going to be able to do, it with one, do this with one like uh, tick sheet. Uh, it has to be this kind of ongoing uh thing where um, everyone kind of perseveres with it because when you have these conversations with people everyone is going to be affected by it by you know by like what I was saying before about people get affected by matter of factness they might need a different kind of tone they might need a different kind of resource they might kind of if you're if you're the person raising this again and they've been that you've they've pushed back on this a lot before and feelings have got hurt there's going to be some feelings and emotions that will need to be kind of addressed there so it's about doing this in a way where it's like well we're not going to complete this by the end of the week <laughs> but let's but let's you know can we have this kind of like as an ongoing resource where we're all feeling more able to talk about these things uh, any resource you create um, would also need to give everyone an out uh, including yourself so if you're finding that um, this is just too much and um, that other people's inability to be uh, to to take part in safer sex protocols that you uh, take part in or to communicate about that safer sex protocols in ways that you communicate um, if that is a deal breaker for you then that just has to be a deal breaker for you you know consent is uh, self consent is really important um, we do need to be able to give our way ourselves out and not pressure ourselves to, um, to do things. That said, like I've been saying, we only become in relation to, so don't shut yourself off from everyone. Um, you know, I think that one of the problems with consent is um, the kind of, we don't really see it sorry this is a massive side topic but for me consent is a set of practices and processes that help us to become joyful in the Spinozan way and becoming joyful can also mean not doing something uh, because you know there are some things that we do that can decrease our capacity to act and if we do those things then we'll be Spinozan sad and so I think that not doing things can result in joy but I do think that it, that we have to also not just entirely shut ourselves off and shut ourselves down, but to become 
conscious with other people in other ways. So to give yourself, you could give yourself an out with various relationships or give yourself uh, an out with this entire assemblage or give yourself an out with anyone who you really, uh, who you feel like you do need to kind of sever relations with or give yourself an out in terms of the kinds of sex you take you might want to take part in, I suppose, as well, uh, and the kinds of things that would make you safer. But I just do think it's important that you can also just feel like you can just not do this. And I have also been saying that, you know, I feel like it could be on you to be the facilitator. But just to contradict myself, I also think that it could be on you to just say, look, could some could somebody else just in my assemblage, could a few others just listen to this podcast uh, and then see if you can come up with something and see if you can help me because I need help with this. So if you all could facilitate this for me, I'd be really grateful. This is the kind of thing I need. Can you all facilitate this? I think it might be quite useful. And then that means it's not always coming from you, uh, dear listener. Uh, you're not doing that kind of affective labor and you're giving other people the opportunity to do that affective labor. And again, them doing that affective labor might really kind of resource you like if somebody else does the work how does that make you feel how do you feel as a result of them doing the work um and also just uh something i've not mentioned yet again i have to bring in a bit of solution focus uh therapy talk uh into everything that i do on this podcast now it's the law but you know think back to a time when you really felt trust with someone where you really felt just like you could trust them with anything and you felt you know just safe enough with them what did that feel like how did they respond how did you respond to them responding what could you what could they tell in you that you were being really trust that you could really trust them how could you how what could you see in them that told you you could really trust them can you describe a specific moment a specific moment in time from just Go back there in a kind of minute detail as if you're, you know, like that scene in The Matrix where Keanu Reeves is avoiding a bullet. I think he's called Neo, isn't he? Or is avoiding a bullet. Can you slow, slow a moment in time down, a moment of trust, and really describe it in as vivid detail as possible? Then when you can bring that to mind and relive that moment, you can then start to pay attention to these moments happening in the future. And then if other people start to do this kind of work this affective work for you and enabling you to trust them around safer sex protocols can you bring that to mind can you how can you feel that in your body what might you notice emerging if other people were able to do this work for you and a couple of other things sorry i'm going on and on and on um just th- instead of thinking about a resource like a like piece of paper i mean actually in our uh, make your own sex manual or create your own sex manual that meg john and i created there is uh, there are a couple of resources in there about safer sex but there are there are resources there about everything to do with uh sex or many things to do with sex so head to the website megjohnandjustin.com forward slash publications that costs two pounds fifty um uh dear listener if you uh listening you wrote into me with this question i'll send you a free copy of that if you want just get in touch um uh yeah so when we think about a resource it doesn't have to be a thing that's written down it could just be a series of conversations 
you know, just like, and those conversations, again, in conversation, uh, our sense of trust, our sense of protectedness, our sense of uh, safety might emerge, you know, because we we become conscious in relation to everyone else, as I've been constantly saying. I'm sorry if I keep repeating myself. Um, an idea for this could be that you could create a Google Doc, just a blank Google Doc, where everyone might just kind of chat about how they feel about this. You know, they could chat about how their body is affected when they think about safer sex protocols. They could chat about their emotions, their thoughts, and what they might do. Okay, and it could just be they could talk about their background about this, and they could talk about their relation to uh, sexual health services, their relation to medical services, what is uh, what is accessible to them, how they feel about it, what their education about this kind of stuff was, what their volume levels are about various things, uh, as well as you know some of the tests they may do or some of the practices that they may they may do to make things safer, but to feel open and to feel like they can talk about this. Again, it's that thing about, it's the process of this is probably going to be more important to you and more resourceful to you than the content of what everyone actually says. Oh, and also, just as part of this, and again, you can use the Make Your Own Sex Manual Guide uh, zine as a starting point for this, and I've certainly done this with people, is that you just you could create like a Google Doc or a Jamboard or some kind of you know you could do it with pen and paper if everyone shares the same if everyone is you know with each other where you could just put everything on the table so it's not just about um, it's not just about STIs but also it's not just about uh, unplanned pregnancy which I've not mentioned yet sorry but also it could be about other things that you might want to think about to be safer. Um, but also this more broad kind of question of, well, how do we make our assembly safer? How do we make it more consensual? How do we make, how do we give ourselves an increased capacity to act? How do we make our assemblage of people, our all of our relations become more joyous to have this increased capacity? And putting it that way, this kind of everything on the table approach then means that you create this possibility of this work being affective in a really joyous way, that it affects people joyously because it becomes, then it becomes like celebratory. It becomes, well, it's not a drag. It's not a barrier. It's not a kind of a a, 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 a procedure that we have to get through or uh, kind of uh, either do or bypass or say we've done in order to get the thing that we want. Instead, it becomes this possibility of a joyous, ongoing, fluid conversation. And I think that's probably all I've got to say. So, yeah, I think just, yeah, I think that's all my advice. Finally, Justin's going to stop speaking. <laughs> so, dear listener, thank you so much for sending in your question. I hope that was... Um, a good enough answer and thank you so much for trusting me to give you a good enough answer um and uh yeah and everyone else dear listener if you have a question you would like me to answer uh please get in touch the there's a, a google form for sending in your questions uh there's a bit of a, a terms and conditions bit just you know i can't help you in emergencies there are some things i can't help with um 
Uh, there's a bit where, where I said, you know, see if I've answered your question already. You don't really have to do that. I'm quite happy to answer various questions. I'm trying to encourage you to send as many in as possible. Um, uh, there might be a point if you flood me with questions, I might not be able to get to all of them. Uh, given that there are only so many podcasts I can do a year and that for some reason I end up speaking for about 45 minutes about each one <laughs> um, so uh, yeah so but also if there's a second opinion so if you see any uh, advice about culture sex or relationships out in the world that you would like my take on um, send it in again I'm not going to kind of you know it's not I don't like to uh, slam other advice columnists or sex educators or anything like that it's a really hard job that we'll do we're not trained enough um there are there isn't enough resource to do this as well as we can so i don't like to kind of call people out and say that they're shit um uh yeah so send me a second opinion or if you have any other topics you would like me to cover uh do let me know and if you would like a few extra resources, a few extra bits and bobs, or if you want to support the podcast and help me make this uh, more of a job, uh, then please consider supporting the Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships. Uh, you know, there are costs that I need to cover to do this. Uh, I want to keep it ad free and uh, free uh, as much as possible. Uh, give you all this lovely content uh, but there is some extra stuff on there as well I'm actually making a zine and I've done some readings from Enjoy Sex Howell and if you want to etc etc there's also a few extra Meg John and Justin episodes in the back catalogue that are not available on the free feed so go and check those out alright so thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time bye